You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Revelation chapter 3 in your Bibles, we see a letter now to the church at Philadelphia. Now, don't be confused. We're not talking about the city in Pennsylvania, but we're talking about a city in Asia Minor that had a church. And the Apostle John is on the Isle of Patmos, and the revelation is given to him by Jesus Christ, including seven letters to these seven individual churches. Now, every letter is uh, applicable to us, so please don't think this doesn't matter. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God or that the, the people of God, the woman of God, that, that God's people uh, might be perfect. That doesn't mean sinless, but it means that you would be complete. It means that you would be everything that God wants you to be. Now, if I were to ask that question, say, how many of you think you are everything God wants you to be? I doubt that a lot of hands would go up. If I asked the question, how many of you want to be everything that God wants you to be? I hope every hand would go up to that. But I think we all realize that we are all a work in progress. God's not done with any of us. If God were done with any of us, we wouldn't still be here. He'd take us home, right? God's still working on us. But the, the, the Bible was given so that we could be complete and then truly, completely furnished unto all good works. Your Christian life should not be a life that is empty. Your life should be a life that is furnished. If you go into a house, if you're house hunting, and you find a house that is completely empty, that's the way most houses are, right? But then there's a few you'll go into, and they're furnished. Everything stays. Everything is apart. And God wants our lives to be furnished with good works. Uh, we ought to be serving God. We ought to be so busy serving God. We ought to be so busy doing so many things for God and for others that we don't know what to do with ourselves because we've got so much we want to do for God. Uh, don't be an empty Christian. Don't be a, a self-centered Christian. Be a, a, a person who is uh, focused on others and centered around Jesus Christ. And that's what we ought to be. So this letter is written to the church at Philadelphia. These are words of Christ to his church. Jesus cares about his church. That's why he writes to the churches, because he is concerned for his church. He loves the church. Jesus gave himself for the church. Jesus promised the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. I'm glad I'm a part of a church. I'm glad I'm a part of an institution that Jesus Christ established and he promised that it would march on. Now, I'll tell you this. There's a lot of people in churches that come and go. There's a lot of programs. There's a lot of ministries. There's a lot of pastors. There's a lot of Sunday school teachers. There's a lot of staff members. There's a lot of, uh, 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 of, of people that work in different ministries. They may come and go, and that, if that's what God has for them, and God has, that's great, but I want to tell you this. People come and go, but the church of Jesus Christ marches on. It's his church. It's his work. 
and I'm just glad I get to be a part of it. So we see this church at Philadelphia. Verse number seven, these things saith he that is holy. What a great reminder that Jesus is holy. That word holy, uh, he is perfect. He is sinless. He uh, is, is, is without blemish and without spot. Don't ever forget that Jesus Christ is holy. And uh, we will worship him and praise him for all of eternity in heaven. And we will worship him in the beauty of his holiness. He is a holy God. He that is holy and he that is true. That word true, of course, obviously you know what that word means, but it has the idea that Jesus Christ is the real thing. He is genuine. Jesus is authentic. In a world of phonies and in a world of fakes and in a, a world of, of people who will, will try to fool you, I want to tell you Jesus Christ is true. You can trust Jesus. You can count on Jesus. He will not let you down. He is true. We see in verse number seven, he that is holy and he that is true, he that hath the key of David. That's interesting. He that openeth and no man shutteth and he that shutteth and no man openeth. Lord, I pray you'd speak to our hearts in these few moments. May we not miss these truths from your precious holy word. I thank you for these folks that are here tonight. I'm sure they've had a busy day. I'm sure that in many cases, there's uh, almost been no time to even sit down and catch their breath, but they're here tonight. I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful th for those that maybe could not be here, but they're tuned in on the radio. Those that are watching the service online, maybe those that'll watch this service at a later time. I pray that you'd give every one of us exactly what we need from the word of God. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts, convict us challenge us and work in us and through us that we might be what you'd have us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The Bible reminds us that Jesus is holy. Jesus is true. And it reminds us that Jesus has the key of David. Now, the key of David is found in the Old Testament and it talks about a man who had the key of David. Now, a key is an important thing. And you realize that when you don't have the key you need to get into a door you need to get into. Or when you don't have the key to the car that you need to drive on that day. Uh, or when you lock your keys inside and they're on the other side of the locked door, that's a problem. But the key of David, David of course was the king, and from the line of David, the Bible says that there would come a king that would sit on the throne of David. We know that was a messianic promise of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords that came through the line of David. So this passage tells us that Jesus has the key of David. Well, can I tell you, when you have a key, you have access and if you have the key to the king's house, you have access to everything that the king possesses. You have access, if you would have been in Bible days, if you would have had the key to the, to the palace, if you would have had the key to the house of David, you would have access to the treasures of David, the treasures of the king. Now, we have today, I say we have, 
um, we have safe deposit boxes or we have, uh, uh, you know, uh, different things to try to protect our valuables. But if you're the king, everything you have that's valuable is, is much more than in a little box, right? You've got treasures, you've got jewels, you've got gold, you've got silver, you've got the, the wealth of the kingdom uh, that belongs to you. And if you have the keys to the house of the king, you have access to the treasure of the king. Well, I want to tell you something. We have access to the treasures of heaven. We have access to the provision from the king of kings and lord of lords. We get so nervous sometimes, don't we? Oh, how are we going to pay the bills? Or how are we going to do this? Or how are we going to do that? I want to remind you, my father is a king. And if you're saved, your father is a king. And I want to tell you, the, 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 the ministry and, and, and the, 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 the missionaries and the buses and, and the school and all these things that we are trying to do for God, I want to tell you, it's not our job to pay the bills. You say, well, pastor, whose job is it? God's going to pay the bills. Now, he's going to use us, and we are stewards of that which God has given us. You say, oh, it's too late. I just put my money in the offering. Well, it wasn't your money anyway. It was God's money you put in the offering, right? But God's going to take care of it. Well, we get so worried about the, the little things. And, and what about the economy? And what about the prices of gas? I'll tell you this. If you listen to the news, it's just going to get worse and worse. If you listen to the news, the world's going to end tomorrow. Well, it might end down here tomorrow, but I'm not living for this world down here anyway. I'm living for the next world. I'm living for heaven. I'm living for eternity. And the, the key, Jesus holds the key to the house of the king. When you have the house of the king and the access to the king's house, you have the treasures. You know what else you have in the king's house? You have the throne. Aren't you so glad we have access to the throne of God? Can you imagine that? Maybe the treasures, maybe that doesn't matter a whole lot to you, but you've got some needs in your life that are not financial needs. You've got some needs that only God can meet. You've got some situations that only God can fix. You've got some problems that only God can solve. I want to tell you, as Christians, we have access to the throne of God. And the Bible says in Hebrews, we don't have to sneak into the throne. The Bible says that we can come boldly before the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm thankful we have access to the throne. But not only in the king's house do you find the king's treasure. And not only do you find the king's throne. I love this. But in the king's house, you find the king himself. And aren't you glad that we can spend time with the king of kings and lord of lords? Aren't you glad we can spend time at the feet of Jesus? Aren't you glad that we don't have to schedule an appointment six months out? like some of you have to do for your doctor's visits or for your surgeries. Aren't you glad you don't have to schedule an appointment that's months or years out? Aren't you glad that you can have access to spend time with Jesus Christ anytime you want to? What a privilege. And Jesus reminds the church that he has the key of David, the, the key to the king's house. And he goes on to say, not only does he have the key, but it says that Jesus has the power and he has the authority to open doors and to shut doors. If you're taking notes, let me give you a couple thoughts. Number one, I want you to see in this passage the omnipotence 
of Christ. The omnipotence means that He is all-powerful. Jesus opens doors, and when Jesus opens a door, there ain't nobody that can shut that door. And when Jesus shuts doors, there ain't nobody that can pry that door open. He is all-powerful. Jesus opens and shuts doors. When God opens a door, you know what that means? It's time to go in. It's time to work. It's time to get busy. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse number 9, it says, For there is a great door and effectual opened unto me. Paul said, God has opened a door. God has given me an opportunity. And can I tell you, when God opens doors, let's get busy to serve God. You remember a few years ago, or I guess it's been almost two years ago now, a little over that with COVID. Remember when the doors of the church, remember when the doors were shut? Remember when we were online for a couple weeks? Remember we were in the, the parking lot for a couple months? Remember we were out in the tent for a couple months? You remember all the drive-in and all those things? You know what that should have done for all of us? It should have given us a renewed desire to say, let's serve God as much as we can, as long as we can, in any way we can, because God has given us an open door. God's given us an opportunity. God opens doors that no man can shut, and God shuts doors that no man can open. I, I, this is not original with me, but I found this quote. Somebody said this, until God opens the next door, make sure you praise God in the hallway. Maybe you're between doors. Maybe you're not sure what the next door is that God's going to open and you're waiting on God. Hey, if God shut the door, don't push it open. But when God opens the door, don't try to shut it. Try to go in and, and do what God has called you to do. And in the meantime, let's praise God anyway. I have a picture. I don't know, Brother Tommy, or who you have up there, but if you have a, that picture uh, up there tonight, there's a picture of a door. Do you have that? It's more like a vault. But if you could show us a door, and uh, while they're getting that, I was uh, looking up some information about some of the strongest and biggest, most secure doors in the world. They say the biggest doors in the world are found in Florida at the Kennedy Space Center for NASA. They have four doors at the Space Center, and the doors are 456 feet high. That's a big door. 456 feet high. That's how big the door is. But then there's a door in Colorado Springs at the uh, Cheyenne Mountain Complex. It's a military installation and a nuclear bunker near Colorado Springs. This door has two, tw uh, th th this, this uh, base has two 25-ton doors. These doors can withstand a 30-megaton blast. To give you some perspective, it would take the bomb that was dropped on Nagasaki, it would take over 1,000 of those bombs to crack this door. That's how massive and how powerful this door is. There's another door, and did that picture come up? Didn't come up. That's okay. That's all right. There's another door found, and we had a picture of it. Um, that it's not there. That's okay. But it is a, a door of a vault for the Bank of England. 
This door is so extreme, it is bomb-proof. It is only unlocked via a sophisticated voice recognition system aided by multiple three-foot-long keys. Aren't you glad you don't have to carry keys like that around for your front door, you know, three feet long? That's how that door is open. That's how that vault is open. And then one of the most secure doors in the world is found at Fort Knox. This is a granite-lined vault. It's protected by a blast-proof door weighing 22 tons. This door is so secure that no single person can open the door. It takes 10 different people that each have a different piece of the combination, and it takes those 10 people to put their piece of the combination together in order to access that vault. Can I tell you, those are some pretty amazing doors. But it doesn't matter what the door is that somebody tries to shut in your life. It doesn't matter what the door is that Satan tries to slam on you. When God opens a door, nobody can shut it. And when God shuts a door, nobody can open it. We see the omnipotence of Christ. Number one. Number two, I want you to notice in this passage the opportunities for the church. The open door, is it speaks of opportunities to get the gospel out. I quoted earlier, 1 Corinthians 16, 9. It says, there is a great door and effectual opened unto us, Paul said, but there are many adversaries. I'll never forget where I was here in Roanoke Rapids when my wife and I, when we were visiting, uh, when we were here for that winter revival, and then we candidated on that Wednesday night in December of 2013. And I remember I, I talked to my pastor in California, Pastor Treber. I talked to my father-in-law, Joanna's dad. And I remember I called my dad and I was just praying. I was just seeking the Lord. And I remember, I don't, I don't know why, but my dad quoted this verse when we prayed, uh, when, when we were talking and when we were praying about what to do. He said, Jeremy, he said, it sounds like there's a great door, an effectual that's been opened. And I agreed with that. And I said, Dad, I think you're right. That's the way it seems. But then he said this. He followed up. He said, but the verse goes on to say, there are many adversaries. And he said, whenever God opens a door, you better watch out because the devil's going to try to keep you from going through the door. And I, I don't know what it was that put that on my dad's heart at that time. Well, I know it was the Lord, but, but looking back now is amazing. He said, hey, it's a great open door. It's a great opportunity, but be prepared. Because when God opens a door, Satan's going to try to stop you from going through that door. There are opportunities for the church. Why does God give us opportunities? Let's go on and read this in verse number 8. Uh, Jesus says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength. You say, oh, that's terrible. What a terrible commentary for this church. How would you like it if Jesus said about our church, yeah, they got a little strength? Well, last time I checked the Bible, that's all you need is a little strength because little is much when God is in it. Because God takes the little things of this world and he uses them, so there's no doubt that he's the one that gets the glory. Jesus took a little lunch to feed 5,000. Jesus took a little boy by the name of David to defeat a giant named Goliath. Jesus only needs a little bit. 
And you might be here tonight and say, Pastor, that is me. I've only got a little bit of strength. Well, that's okay. God can take your little and he can turn it into much. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that when we are weak, that's when his strength is made perfect in our weakness. This church had a little strength, but God didn't need much. He just needed a little. We see in this passage that not only did they have a little strength, but the Bible says they kept his word. Can I tell you how you uh, go through an open door? You just obey the word of God. You keep the word of God. You don't worry about what everybody else says. You don't worry what's popular. You don't worry what all the other churches are doing. You don't worry what all the religious crowd says. You just do what God says. And this church, they kept the word of God. Hallelujah. What a testimony. And then it says this, and they, they had not denied his name. That word deny, it means to reject or to refuse his name. Some people reject the name of Jesus because they're more concerned with their own name. Some reject the name of Jesus because although they want him to be their savior and they want eternal life and they want to go to heaven, but they don't want Jesus to be the Lord of their life. They don't want Jesus to be their master. But friend, I want to tell you, it's a good thing when you can associate with and identify with the name of Jesus. It's a great day when you say, whatever Jesus says, I'll do it. Wherever he sends, I'll go. Whatever he says, I will obey. This church had not denied the name of Christ. Verse 9, behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. We see not only the omnipotence of Christ, number one, number two, the opportunities for the church, but number three, we see the obstacles. Can I tell you, anytime God's going to do something great, you better get ready. There's going to be some opposition and there will be some obstacles in your path. We see the obstacles here is that there were people in the church that claimed to be something that they were not. There were those who claimed to be Jews. We saw this, uh, I think it was in chapter uh, 2. Notice back in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number uh, 9. I know thy works. This is the church at Smyrna. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, uh, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Now these Jews were those who were trying to say, Yes, Jesus is good, and yes, Jesus, that's a nice story, but you've got to keep the Old Testament law, and if you don't keep the Old Testament law, you're not saved. I want to tell you, that's a lie. That is a lie from the pit of hell, and that's why God calls these people the synagogue of Satan. They were lying. They were trying to say, they were saying, hey, we're with you, we're one of you, but Jesus says, you're not. We see the obstacles there will be people that claim to be something that they are not. There will be people that will lie. I want to remind you that any lie that is ever told originated with the father of all lies, the devil. God is the source of truth. And if you are going to be an overcomer, you're going to have to get a hold of truth. You can't believe the lies of the devil. You're going to have to hold on to the truth of the word of God. There would be obstacles. But then I see number four, I see the overcoming. Verse number 10, because thou hast 
kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I see number four, the overcoming. The word overcome, it means to conquer. It means to get the victory. And friend, I want to remind you, as we read through the book of Revelation, we ought to be overcomers. We are not supposed to be cowards. We're not supposed to be fearful. We're not supposed to be running and, and hiding. We are supposed to be those who go and fight in the power of God and get the victory over the devil. We are on the winning side. Don't ever forget it. Don't get discouraged. Don't, don't feel like, well, we're the only ones. I got news for you. We're not the only ones. I was at a church this past Sunday night and Monday night uh, in a Christian school these past couple days. And I want to tell you, uh, there's a lot of churches around this country. There are churches around this world where people believe exactly like we do. They believe the word of God. They believe Jesus is coming again. They believe in reaching souls. They believe in the Bible and prayer. And we're not the only ones. Don't let the devil lie to you and make you think there's nobody else. Poor us. Don't get the Lone Ranger mentality, okay? You know the Lone Ranger was not the Lone Ranger. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto, right? And you're not the only one. And Elijah thought he was the only one. And God said, no, actually, Elijah, you're not the only one. I've got 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. Well, I think a lot of times it's pride where we think, yeah, I'm the only one that's trying to live for God. Well, no, that's what the devil told you because that is not the truth. We must be overcomers for the glory of God. How do we get the victory? Well, let me show you a few things in this passage. Verse number nine, you get the victory by remembering that Jesus loves you. Look at verse nine, the end of the verse. Jesus said, and to make them know that I have loved thee. Now, we know Jesus loves us, right? I mean, we understand that. My wife knows that I love her. But I still try to remind her. I try not to make it a competition to see how long I can go without telling her just to see if she can remember it or not. I tell her every day. I tell my children every day. You say, well, don't they know? Well, I hope they know, but it sure helps to be reminded. And aren't you glad that all through the Bible, Jesus reminds us that he loves us? He reminds this church at Philadelphia. He says, hey, you've got some people that are opposing you. You've got some obstacles. You've got some opposition. But don't you ever forget, I love you. And don't ever forget that Jesus loves you. Whatever you've been through today, whatever you've gone through this week, whatever you've been through this year, whatever you've been through in your life, don't ever forget that Jesus loves you. He died for you. He gave his life for you. You are important to God. You matter to God. Jesus loves you so much, he gave his life to prove his love for you. How do you overcome? Well, just remember, Jesus loves me. 
You get discouraged this week, maybe just start singing that little chorus. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And say, take that, devil. Take that, Satan. Uh, take that, co-worker. No, no, don't say it to co-worker. Take that, spouse. No, no, don't, don't say that. Don't say that. But that's a good reminder that Jesus loves you. That'll get you the victory. Number two, not only knowing that Jesus loves me, but knowing that Jesus is coming back for me. He didn't leave me here and abandon me and tell me to figure it out. He said, I'm going, but I'm coming back to get you. Notice verse number 11. Behold, I come quickly. He is coming back. Knowing that Jesus loves me, knowing that Jesus is coming back. Number three, knowing that we will not go through the tribulation. Now, you've got to see this. This is so good. Verse number um, 10 it says, because thou, this is talking to the church of Philadelphia, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. Basically, they were, they were patient in obeying the Bible. They were persevering even through persecution. I also will keep thee. I will protect thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world. Well, now, he's not just talking about one thing that was going to happen in Philadelphia. He's not talking about just one thing that was going to happen in the church. He said, I'm going to protect you from the, the tribulation that is coming over the whole world. Well, what's that going to be? That's going to be the great tribulation. And the Bible tells us that when that great tribulation comes, we're already out of here. The Bible says when that trumpet sounds, we are caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and that Jesus Christ will come to deliver us from the wrath to come. Now, I'll make this very clear. When you turn on the TV and you start flipping through the TV preachers and they start saying, you better get ready. We're going through the tribulation. They might be planning to go through the tribulation, but I'm not planning. I'm taking the first flight out of here. I'm going with Jesus. I'm going when that trumpet sounds. And then you have some, they'll say, now, we're not going through the whole tribulation, but we're going through the first half. We're, we're going out at the middle of the tribulation. Well, I think if that were the case, then Jesus would have said, and I'm going to keep you from half of the tribulation or half of the temptation that's coming on the whole world. But Jesus said, I'm going to protect you from it. I'm going to deliver you from all of it. I'm going to save you from the tribulation. I'm glad to know that. That ought to keep you encouraged to know that Jesus is coming back to deliver us from the tribulation. But then verse number 11, this ought to encourage you to be an overcomer. Behold, I come quickly, verse 11, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Now think about this. What Jesus is saying is, hang on tight. Don't quit. Don't give in. Don't get discouraged. Don't lose the crown that you have already earned. Now, we're not there yet. We're not even at the judgment seat of Christ yet. But he was telling the church, he said, don't let anybody take your crown. I want to tell you, I don't want to quit now. I don't want to give up now because I want to stand before that judgment seat and I want to receive a crown that I can give back to Jesus. I want to have something that I can cast at his feet for all that he's done for me. And that is our motivation to receive a reward. I got to close with this. I got more I want to say, but I'm going to wrap it up. Verse number uh, 12. Him that overcometh, 
Jesus says, will I make a pillar in the temple of my God? Now, the city of Philadelphia, they had experienced a major earthquake about 10 or 15 years B.C. So this would have been within the last 100 years of the writing of this. They had experienced a major earthquake, wiped out much of the city. So when the city was rebuilt, they were trying to get that city secure so that it could withstand future earthquakes or, or, or future situations like that. So they had the pillars. Those pillars were used for support for buildings. Those, those, those pillars gave stability and strength to the structures in Philadelphia. Well, here's what God says. He says, those that overcome, he said, I'm going to make those the pillars of the temple. Now, I wonder, I wonder here this evening, I wonder how many of, uh, of the folks in this room would be able to say honestly, I believe that God could use me to be a pillar for the church. That means when hard times come, when shaky times come, when trials come and people start getting nervous, I wonder how many people in here would say, I'm going to stand for God. I'm going to stand on the word of God. I'm not going to quit church. I'm not going to quit reading my Bible. I'm not going to quit giving. I'm not going to quit praying. I'm not going to quit serving. You can count on me. I'm going to stand firm. Boy, I hope that'd be our desire. I hope that would be our passion to say, I want to be a pillar I don't want to run when trials come. I don't want to, uh, uh, to, to try to escape. I want to stand my ground. But not only were the pillars used for support, but those pillars were erected in Philadelphia and in ancient uh, Greece and ancient Rome. And those pillars were erected and they were inscribed with the name of some great leader from that, from that area. And God says, for those who are faithful, those who overcome, he said, those are going to be my pillars. Those are going to be the ones that I will honor. Those are going to be the ones that I will reward. You and I, we have an opportunity. God's given us a great open door. God's given us a great opportunity to serve him in 2022. I'll be honest with you, I don't know if there's ever been a greater time to serve God. I think the trumpet could sound today. I think we could be out of here. I think people are searching and people are looking for answers. People know this world is going crazy and we've got the answer. We've got the word of God. We've got the message. Can I tell you, I want to be a pillar. I want to be grounded. I want to be solid. And I want to be someone that if somebody else gets a little nervous, I want to be the one to say, hey, let's stand on the word of God. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.